0: morning, church family. It really is a blessing to be here, and I hope that you're really encouraged by your brothers and sisters when you look around, right? When we come and we sing worship songs with others, right, and people aren't deterred by the weather, right, we're just singing about in Christ alone, right, they're just such tremendous blessings, and it is just such an encouragement to hear other people sing and to praise God in that way. So, thank you for being a blessing and an encouragement to me, even as I was driving in early this morning, seeing the cars that were in the parking lot, of people that were coming early to serve, right? It's just such a blessing, and that kind of joy, that kind of diligence and commitment really comes in Christ alone. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. If you were looking for somebody, right, if you wanted somebody to bless you, right, what kind of person would you actually want that to be? Okay, there's a number of different ways you can think about that. Perhaps one of, the th- one of the characteristics of a person that you would want to bless, you would be somebody who is wiser than you, right? So maybe, right, if, 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 if it came down to you, you would pick something that would be all about short-term gratification, wouldn't be all that good in the long run. So maybe a wiser person would be able to have a better idea of what kind of blessing would actually help you in the long run. Right, so I think that we all could agree that having a blessing from a wise person as opposed to a foolish person, that'd be, that'd be good news. You could also probably answer that question by saying, well, how about somebody who knows me really well? I mean, there are people, and maybe you've gotten some of these things, like a well-intended gift that just really doesn't fit you. Right, So, for example, maybe a, a wise fisherman might think you need a really expensive rod and reel combination because you want that thing to rat, last the rest of your life. right? And in your case, because you don't fish at all, it probably will. You won't even pull that blessing out of the package. right? So, you don't just need someone who knows stuff in general, someone who actually knows you. Then, obviously, at some point, you probably want to talk about well, if someone's going to bless me, they probably need to have the resources to do that, right? So if a person came up to you and they knew you really, really well, but they didn't really have any resources to bless you, right, then maybe that might be a sweet, kind thought, but they don't really have the ability to do it. But on the other hand, if Warren Buffett came up to you or Elon Musk and they said they wanted to provide something for you, you go, well, that, that probably means a blessing on an entirely different level, So, if the question is, you know, who would you choose, what kind of person would you want to bless you, I think that wisdom, intimate knowledge of you, the capacity of resources to be able to bless you, right, those those things would probably rank fairly high on our list. Well, the Word of God teaches us that as followers of Jesus Christ, every single follower is blessed, has been blessed. And that's part of our identity as followers of Christ, that we have been blessed as redeemed children in the Lord. But the, the amazing thing is who's actually doing that blessing, right? That is God himself who blesses us, right? And so if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've come to the Lord in repentance, right, you are blessed, but you are blessed by God himself, Right, who I think we would say is wise, knows us intimately, and has the resources to bless us well. Well, with that in mind, I want to ask you to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, So if you're pulling out the Bible in the chair in front of you, that's on page 150 in the back section of the Bible. But we are continuing our annual theme of building on our heritage Right, so this year, Faith Church is celebrating its 60th anniversary, and in part, of, in part, of, part of what we're doing is thanking the Lord for what He has blessed us, how He's blessed us, how He's sustained us over 60 years. But in addition to that, we are also thinking very carefully about how we build on that foundation, right? So we're not just thinking about our heritage, we're not just celebrating our heritage, but we want to build appropriately on that. And God's people have always been um, encouraged and cautioned how we build. So one classic place where where Paul uses this metaphor of building is 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, "'According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus.'" Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire." Now, the, situations that, the situation we find ourselves in is that we have been blessed as a church family with a 60-year heritage is just quite remarkable and a clear testimony of God's sustaining grace to us. But the question for us is, how are we going to build? What are we going to do as we look to the future? And considering the heritage we have, how are we going to build in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord? Now, if you were here last week, right, you heard Pastor Brent Oakwood share about how the city of Ephesus, this book that was written to the church in Ephesus, uh, how that city was a magnificent and great city. And then when the gospel came, we read in Acts 19 how there was a tremendous response to the gospel, so much that all of the people brought their not all of them but many of the people brought out their books that had to do with magic and divination and they burned them and the total of that of those books added up to 50,000 pieces of silver that's quite a response to the gospel But Pastor Oakwood also reminded us of the stern warning that they received in the book of Revelation, that they had wandered away from their first love and that they needed to return. And the book of Revelation was written like 30 to 40 years after the church would have started in Ephesus. So if you think about the time difference of our church celebrating its 60th anniversary versus the Ephesian church about 30 to 40 years old, I mean, certainly we would have to say God has been gracious to us to make it to 60 But do we want to presume upon the grace of God and the wonderful heritage that we have? (laughs) I hope not, right? We want to be careful on how we build on that heritage. And so that's why we're beginning, that's why this year we're studying through the book of Ephesians, and in the early weeks, we're thinking about this theme in the early parts of Ephesians, remembering our identity as one in Christ, Okay, so remembering our identity as one in Christ. We're going to read the first 14 verses, and then we're just going to hone in on verse 3 this morning, but follow along with me as we read the first 14 verses. So in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of His glory, His glorious grace, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. That is a dense, dense passage. And with the time that we have remained, we're just going to look at verse 3, thinking about how we are blessed. Okay, And we're going to be looking for three reasons to give priority to developing a lifestyle that worships our Heavenly Father. Now, before we actually jump into that, I want to give you a quick note on how we're planning to preach through this, okay? We are planning to move through the first chapter of Ephesians more slowly than we often would as a church family, okay? So we are planning on going up through Easter just thinking about chapter 1. Part of the reason that we want to go so slowly through this is because of just the richness of the passage, Right? If you were following along, I mean, there is so much in there that it's hard to even uh, wrap your mind around all of the truth there. And so we want to go slow so that we really understand it, and part of where we're at as a church family is God has blessed our church with a lot of new members and a lot of new folks coming, and so we want to make sure that everybody understands the basic critical truths that are found in this first chapter of Ephesians, Right, we have a lot of new believers that have joined our church, and we are thankful to God for them. We're so encouraged that God continues to save people. We want to make sure that people are grounded in these basic, basic truths that are so important for our life in Christ. Then, if you are one of the longtime believers, right, these basic truths are so important that we remember them because we don't want to be like the Ephesian church that forgets our first love, Right? So it's really, really important for us, all of us, that we know these well. Now, here's how John MacArthur describes this truth-packed opening to Ephesians. Okay, he says, in the Greek, verses 3 to 14 comprise one sentence. That probably gives hope to some of the high school students out there that just go on and on and on in their sentences. Right Now, they comprise one sentence, and it encompasses the past, the present, and the future of God's eternal purpose for the church. It's Paul's outline of God's master plan for salvation. So in verses 3 to 6, we are shown the past aspect, election. In verse 6 to 11, we're shown the present aspect, our redemption. And then in 12 to 14, we are shown the future aspect of our inheritance. Within God's master plan of salvation is every believer who has or will ever trust in God and be saved. And sometimes expressed expressed history is simply the outworking of his story, which has already been planned and pre-written in eternity. This passage can also be divided into three sections, each of which focus on a different person of the Trinity. Verses 3 to 6 center on the Father, and then 6 to 12 center on the Son, and 13 to 14 center on the Holy Spirit. Paul takes us to the very throne room of the Godhead to show the greatness and the vastness of the blessing and treasures that belong to those who are in Jesus Christ. Now, I hope that gives you a little bit of the taste of the spiritual feast that is set before us and why we actually want to take our time going through this, why we might want to linger, as he says, in the throne room of the Godhead so that we can just I I mean, ponder and meditate upon the greatness and vastness of God that has been expressed to us in God's gratuitous blessings towards us. Now, John MacArthur goes on to describe this first sentence, right, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that opens this great sentence, and he goes on to say, such gracious truth is introduced appropriately by praise to the one who has made such provision. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, From eulogio, which means blessed, we get eulogy, a message and praise and commendation, the declaration of a person's goodness. Because no one is truly good but God, our supreme eulogy, our supreme praise is for him alone. Goodness is God's very nature. God the Father not only does good things, he is good in in a way and to a degree that no human being except his own incarnate son, our Lord Jesus Christ, can be. Consequently, from Genesis to Revelation, godly men, recognizing the surpassing and humanly unattainable goodness of God, have proclaimed a blessing upon him. Melchizedek declared, blessed be God most high in Genesis. In the very last days, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them will be heard saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Nothing is more appropriate for God's people than to bless him for his great goodness in all things, whether pain, struggle, trials, frustration, opposition, or adversity. We are to praise God because he is good in the midst of of all of it. And for that, we praise and bless him. I mean, I, I hope that we grab a hold of if God really is as good as the Bible says he is, and he is sovereign over everything, then it is right, it is fitting in all things, including pain, struggle, trials, frustration, opposition, and adversity, to praise him. So, practically speaking, right, we have to ask the question, what does that look like? Well, when we're talking about praising or blessing God as supreme, we are talking about worship, Okay, worship is often a word that very easily gets divorced from all of life and just starts to talk about religious activity. But when the Bible talks about worship, it is talking about far, far, far more than what just happens at church, right? That's why Jesus says that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Worship entails all of you at every point of every single day. Now, here's an example that maybe brings that concept home a little more. If you're married, I'm assuming your spouse expects you to love them even when they're not around, right? So, for example, if you're at work or you're at the grocery store, your your spouse probably expects you not to look lustfully at others, not to flirt, and certainly not to engage in any kind of sexual activity with others. Right? It doesn't really matter if you're kind, thoughtful, loving when they're around, and then you just go around doing all kinds of unfaithful things when they're not there. Right? It's the exact same with the Lord. To love the Lord with everything means you love and worship Him in church, outside of church, in the home, out of the home, at work, away from work, with your finances, time, entertainment, and so forth. So a key question is, well, how do you know what you worship? Well, what you worship is really going to occupy your thoughts. What you find to be supremely good will pull your thoughts, right? So what is it that your mind tends to drift to? Does it drift to things like, man, I just want a break. I just want to be entertained. I want ease. Does it drift to things like, man, I just really hope people like me and I want approval of others, now not only will your mind drift towards what you find supremely praiseworthy and what you truly believe is good, but also your mouth will speak about what you find is truly praiseworthy. Luke 6:45 clearly teaches that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And right? so if we believe the doxology, which many of us have sung and known from a young age, right that praise God from whom all blessings flow, if we really believe that all blessings are flowing from God, man, we should be offering up praise and blessing to him with our lips consistently throughout the day. And then, of course, if your minds are occupied by what we worship, our mouths are giving praise to worship, then we're certainly going to be organizing our life, our schedule, our activity, our money around what we worship. Right, and that's really how a verse like Matthew 5:16 practically comes to be in God's people, that they would actually let their light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and right, glorify your Father, who is in heaven. So that really begs the question to all of us: What is it that we worship? What do you praise? What do you bless as supremely good? Well, verse 3 in Ephesians 1 is going to give us three reasons to develop a lifestyle to really cultivate a heart that worships God and praises Him above everything else. So here's the first reason, right? We should praise God because of the immaterial nature of the many blessings that He has given to us. Okay, verse 3 makes it pretty clear. These blessings are described as spiritual blessings, There's no getting around the obvious fact that we live in the most prosperous nation in the world. The prosperity that we live amongst certainly, and that many of us have, it, it certainly has a pull and effect on us. Jesus even said to the rich young ruler who came to him asking how he could inherit eternal life, After he spoke with him, after the rich young ruler goes away sad because he wanted to keep his stuff more than he wanted eternal life, Jesus said that it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the point seems pretty clear that we often overvalue material blessings and realities and organize our lives inappropriately around them. Now, it's very important to note that we are not a prosperity gospel preaching church, okay? What that means is we do not believe that if you love the Lord, then He's going to give you health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. But neither are we poverty gospel people, right? So we do not believe that material stuff and the world is bad and that it is inherently good to live a poor life. We believe that God blesses people materially, and we should praise and worship God for those blessings. And part of praising and blessing God for what He has given is actually enjoying what He has given to us. But I think we need to be very careful as rich Americans that we don't here enjoy the blessings of God as an excuse to overvalue and organize our lives around material things. Paul tells, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's so much of Scripture talks about sharing what we would have to bless others. So like Hebrews 13 says, do not neglect doing good and sharing. Right? That was a lesson we were supposed to learn when we were children, share right? Share with those. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. Acts 20, that 35 says, remember the words of our Lord Jesus, for he himself said, right, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, if you think about the capital campaign that our church is doing, you think about the building projects of the school expansion, the barnet Restoration… Many, many folks who are giving to that are not giving simply because they have a child at the school. Many people are certainly not giving because they're going to go to restoration or they have a child at restoration, right? Why in the world would we want to give to things that we are not personally benefiting from? Well, it is more blessed to give than to receive, and so if we're prioritizing things appropriately, we're going to want to share with others, right? So we shouldn't prioritize material blessings. Rather, followers of Jesus can and should learn to emphasize and prioritize the spiritual nature of our existence. So Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, but a natural man Right? So, so a man, an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Right? And that's really what we're trying to do this morning, right, is to spiritually appraise things. We do not want to appraise physical, material things as more valuable and important than the spiritual, I mean, you may remember Jesus' teaching to the disciples in Matthew 10 when he was trying to help them understand the priority of the spiritual over the material, right? He told them, do not fear those who kill the body, right? So the ones who can kill the physical, don't don't fear that, but are unable to kill the soul, right, the immaterial part of a person, the spiritual, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That is wise, wise counsel for us to heed because too often we get very, very concerned about what somebody is able to do to us, to some material or physical aspect of our existence, all the while failing to worship God for the spiritual blessings that we enjoy that can never, ever be taken away. So, practically speaking, how can we go about actually seeking to cultivate a mind that is more spiritually focused? I think we have to acknowledge that our world, our culture, our flesh, and Satan want us to be more materially minded and less spiritually minded. So, we need to be working at this consistently, but the question is how? Well, let me give you some suggestions. One, As followers of Jesus Christ, there is just no way that you're going to grow more spiritually minded if you are not consistently and daily feeding on the bread of God's Word. If you talk with one of the longtime members, followers of Jesus Christ, and ask them what one of the most precious and important habits of their life has been to help them be faithful to the Lord, you will without a doubt certainly hear them say, daily time in God's Word. For me personally, when I wake up, my goal is to get as fast as I can from my bed to my chair in the living room where my Bible is. That Those daily morning times of God's Word are so important and so precious. They are critical to help me not think upon the flesh, which is death, but to think upon the Spirit, which is life and peace, according to Romans 8.6. So I just want to encourage you, if regular daily time in God's Word is not part of your regular routine, I mean, I would encourage you to make that the highest priority. Get with one of your service pastors, get with your ABF teacher, your deacon, right? We want to help you with that. Now, a second thing, if you want to grow more spiritually minded, ask God. <laughs> Pray to God about it. James 4.3 says, we do not have because we do not ask. Yeah, if, if the fruit of our lips is to be blessing God, I wonder if the fruit of our lips in prayer actually communicates we want to be more spiritually minded, right? So ask him to help you walk by faith and not by sight. A third thing, build friendships with spiritual people. Paul is so clear in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived, which you probably had to tell us that why. Well, they're probably going to be deceived at this point, but bad company corrupts morals. Scripture also gives credence to the opposite being true, that if you have good friends, they can help you grow. So, like Second 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with, right, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A fourth thing, I'm not much of a music person, but man, there are times in my life when singing the truths of God is about all that works to get my heart back in line. So maybe uh, shutting off some of the music that is not encouraging your heart to worship God and turning on some music to sing and get your heart to focus on spiritual things might be very beneficial. Then a fifth thing, right? Those, those four things are all about positive inputs which are critical, but, man, we also have to do something about the negative garbage inputs. And so if you, I would encourage you, think about entertainment choices, social media and so forth, news. Like, are we putting in stuff that's not encouraging us to spiritually be minded but actually be more materially minded? Okay, so there's a lot more that we could say to those things, but if you take those five things seriously, if you want to grow spiritually minded, you take those seriously, I promise you, God will really help you be more spiritually minded. So the first reason that we should bless God is because of the immaterial nature of the blessings he's given. Okay, there are blessings that will last beyond this physical life, which is brief. Now, a second reason we should praise and worship God is because of the comprehensive character of many of his blessings. Right? Verse 3 not only highlights the immaterial part, the spiritual part, but it also highlights every spiritual blessing. I mean, the word every is clearly pointing us to the sufficiency that we have in Christ. And so on our 60th anniversary, right, this really provides a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the sufficiency that we have in Christ, right? If we think back to Kasuth Street planting us as a church 60 years ago, that's a big step of faith that they can take because of the sufficiency that they have in Jesus, Right And the sufficiency that we have in Christ is such a massive theme in the Bible. In John 1.15, it says, John testified about him, that being Jesus, cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace. Right? So that text says that we've received grace upon grace from Jesus' fullness Right? God is not stingy with us, but then the question is, how do we receive that? Well, in John 19, we read, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Right? We become partakers of his fullness. We become partakers of his grace because of his finished work on the cross. And then Paul tells us in Colossians, right? Based on His finished work, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us from the kingdom into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Then think about all of what this says about Jesus, the sufficiency we have in Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by Him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him." Right, I mean, we are blessed by the fullness of God, the sufficiency of God in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You know, a great book back in the 90s when I was born. 1991, John MacArthur wrote a book called Our Sufficiency in Christ. Still a good book today because Christ is still sufficient. I'd encourage you to read that if you haven't. But he says in the epilogue, as Christians, we live at a strata for which human wisdom cannot provide resources. Our ability to live the Christian life is from God alone. And when it comes to spiritual matters, all we need to know is revealed in God's Word and ministered to us by His Spirit. We needn't look elsewhere. One of the Old Testament names of God is El Shaddai, meaning the All-Sufficient One. It is a name rich with meaning. Those who worship Him in spirit and in truth find Him adequate for every necessity of life. They do not need any supplementary experience, a stronger dose of His redemption, or any other spiritual or emotional accoutrements God has given to every believer abundant grace that is utterly sufficient to fulfill our deepest longings, our most intense cravings, and our most profound needs. Every human requirement. I mean, Paul is emphasizing to us in, the, in verse 3 that we have every spiritual blessing. So, based on that, I think we need to ask a question Do, do we live our lives out of a place of abundance and sufficiency of what Christ has given? Or do we rather live our lives out of a place of inadequacy and always needing, selfishly thinking we don't have enough to give? Man, if it's true that God has given us every spiritual blessing, then we should be living out of a place of abundance and thankfulness, right? But in order to do that, we need to focus on what we've been given. So we need to learn to rejoice in the spiritual blessings that He's given, Now, a really good question to be asking at this point is, well, what are these spiritual blessings? Right? We need to know that. Paul actually does go on to tell us in this passage, not every single one, but he highlights some really significant ones on why we should bless God. Now, because we're, how we're choosing to preach this, like I'm, I'm trying to purposely stay off the blessings that Paul actually tells us. So subsequent sermons will really unpack what Paul is going to talk about here. But let me hit some of these just really quickly, in general terms, not necessarily in this passage, but in general terms, some of these blessings that God has given us. One, an, a plan for us from eternity past. This is really, really significant. I would encourage you to spend time pondering this very, this very blessing this afternoon, later this week. We need to think of our spiritual blessings not simply in terms of what you get in this life, okay? God's blessing towards us go into eternity in the future, right? And in fact, many of the promises that we cling to as believers, we do not see the ultimate fulfillment in this life. It's coming, right? And so I have to see my life in terms of eternity. Now, while thinking of eternity into the future is challenging enough for us, what I'm encouraging you to think about here is God's blessing towards us have been intended and thought out from eternity past, Ephesians 1.4 highlights the doctrine of election, which points to God's plan to bless us from before the foundation of the world. Right now, I, I realize election can be a controversial topic, but we're going to jump into that next week and we're going to explain why there's nothing to fret, There's nothing to get upset over. There's actually a lot of reason to bless God because of that very, very point that from eternity past, He has intended and thought about blessing His children. Now, that's even part of how we should think about celebrating our heritage, right? We should be thankful that God blessed us with those from Kassuth that chose to plant faith church and then subsequent members and pastors and so forth that have stewarded this church down to today where we all are beneficiaries of this church. Two of the most important verses in the Bible, and just a bread and butter passage around here for us is Romans eight, twenty-eight and twenty-nine. If you haven't memorized them, that's homework number one. Right, we know, we know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love God, to those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that we so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're the brethren, right? It's amazing that God desired from eternity past to have a relationship with us. A second blessing, right? New life in him. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We're certainly not a perfect group of people, but we have been impacted by the new life, the resurrection from the dead that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. Then you have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Then there's the privilege of prayer. And if you're looking at your handout and you're looking at this, these verses and you go, I don't see prayer in it. It's the verse before that you'd see prayer. So verse 7 in John 15 says, uh, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is remarkable that we can ask of God and he would answer. Then 5, access to an ability to understand God's word. Right, John 16, I realize that this is primarily written to the disciples, but there is principles that are very, very applicable to us even in this. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine, he will disclose it to you." All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, that's just five brief blessings, (laughs) wonderful blessings. That's not even scratching the surface of the comprehensive nature of the blessings that God has given to us. And when you think about these, I mean, do you have any doubt that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing? I mean, if we believe that, if we really believe that, what kind of people should we be? Well, we should be blessing God, praising God. We should be doing what Paul says right at the beginning of verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, third reason that we should worship and bless God is because of the divine location of many of these blessings. Okay, verse 3 gives us two very important locations that these blessings come. So they are in the heavenly places, and they are in Christ. In the heavenly places, they are in Christ. Now, we're going to see all throughout Ephesians this phrase, in Christ and in Him. We're going to see that showing up in our study. That is a significant phrase, and it is important to pause and really ponder that. I mean, friends, we have a God who blesses people. Okay, we have a God who lavishes blessing on his children in all wisdom and insight, according to verse 8 of Ephesians 1, but the blessing is found in Christ, right? There, there is no blessing apart from Christ. There's no blessing apart from the Messiah. So when we see the word Christ in the New Testament, that's talking about the promise of the Messiah that came in the Old Testament, so it is through that promise that we can be blessed. And I, I want you to see that God's desire from the very beginning has been to bless people. In Genesis 1.28, He created man, and the text says, and God blessed them. Right? It's really not hard to see the parallel. He blessed them at the very beginning, and now we read in verse 3 of Ephesians, right, we have been blessed, but it's in Christ, In Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve who were created in perfect blessing by God, but they chose to reject the blessing of God and go after their own blessing. And in their disobedience, rather than finding blessing, they found the curse, right? And the story all the way from Genesis 3, when man rejected the blessing of God, is a story of God initiating and working on how He would restore mankind to a place of blessing, right and so god is cannot bless sinful rebellious people but that is what he's been seeking to do from the very beginning ever since the fall of man so how can god's blessing come to a people that have rejected his blessing right that's the mystery of god's grace and love in jesus christ somebody had to take the curse of death for our sins And because God wanted to bless people so much, He was willing to take the curse of sin and death upon Himself in Christ so that anyone who would confess their wickedness and sin and trust in Christ's sufficient, sin-atoning death on the cross would be, as Ephesians 1-3 says, blessed, right? Blessed with every spiritual blessing, but blessed in Christ, and so if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, yeah, I really want to ask you why not? In yourself, you're a sinner and you will receive the rightful judgment and curse for your sin against a holy, good God. But in Christ, God tells us that He, the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in Christ, we might have every spiritual blessing. Now, if you have questions about about that. I mean, your pastors would love nothing more than to sit down with you and help you understand from the Word of God how you can know that you are blessed in Christ and that you are a recipient of every spiritual blessing that God has. So, those blessings are in Christ, but secondly, these blessings are described as in the heavenly places. I mean, that means that nothing in this life or on this earth can threaten those blessings. It's like Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't store up for yourselves blessings on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. I mean, Matthew six nineteen to twenty explains why these spiritual blessings from the lord have sustained our church for 60 years right as as a church we're not sustained by buildings <laughs> we're not sustained by by money we are sustained by the spiritual blessings that are found in christ you know as a church right we've had to endure some attacks over the years Right, Not everybody in the world or in our town loves the fact that we're a Bible-believing church, right? and not that we're trying to force our beliefs on anyone, impose our beliefs. Right? We're certainly not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, and it is the righteousness of God. Right? So we're not ashamed of it, and we're going to live it out, and we're going to proclaim that message. But there certainly have been a few attacks against us but they're not going to be successful, and the question is why? Because the blessings that we're after are not located on this earth, right? They're locked away, they're secure in heaven, they're in the heavenly places, right? And that's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it's in Christ alone, right? And so that's why I hope that our anniversary will actually remind us to set our minds on things above, right? I hope the, the blessings of a capital campaign, what God is doing in and in, in through the ministries here doesn't, doesn't cause your mind to focus more on earthly stuff, right? We want to set our minds on things above and, and therefore, by doing that, grow in personal and corporate holiness. And perhaps a really good way to just close It's to let the Apostle Paul out of Colossians explain this very thing. So he says in Colossians 3.1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, right, if you're a believer, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with singing, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's what we want to do. Let's pray to that end. God, we thank you, Lord, that you would bless people like us. Lord, it is by nothing of our own works. Lord, we are blessed with every spiritual blessings, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. Lord, it's in the work of Christ. Lord, it's in the death of Christ. Lord, it is in Christ that we are blessed. God, we thank you that you wanted to bless us so badly that you planned from eternity past Lord, to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the punishment for our sins, Lord, not your own. Lord, help us then. Lord, we know that you have indeed been raised to life, as we sang earlier. We know that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. So, Lord, help us to set our minds on things above where you are. God, we know that we we live in a material world. Lord, we need resources. You know that. Lord, you tell us that you know what we need before we even ask. So, Lord, you know that we live in a world of needs, but you are sufficient and you provide. And, Lord, if we would just open our eyes and look around, Lord, we would see your abundant provision. So, Lord, help us to be people that bless you and thank you, Lord, because you have been so gracious to us. Lord, help us throughout this year as we seek to build on the heritage that you have blessed us with in a way that honors and glorifies you not in a way that would glorify us, but in a way that would honor you and you alone. We pray in Christ's name, amen.